stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. And B step back. Joker, you There he is again. The Euro steps there. Well, if it isn't another episode of everyone's favorite Sixers podcast, it is Friday, September 9th. This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, as always, Austin Krell, and he is back, ladies and gentlemen, at least for an episode. Brock Landis returns. Brock, how is life? How are things going? I, I could only enjoy the NFL for one Thursday night before you and I had to start bothering each other again because in about a little over a month from now, we'll be stressing about a completely different sport. Um, so uh, I graduated. I've just kind of been relaxing, figuring some stuff out, still doing the content over on my channel, uh, just breaking stuff down. And, and I've just been enjoying life. Everything kind of slowed down for me a little bit. And I think it's really important for people like you and I after an entire season of basketball. It's an 82-game season, the playoffs, and it's such a grind. So use this time to really reflect and, and get some other things going, other endeavors, and uh, pursue other passions. But this is really what we're passionate about, basketball. So uh, for as fun as the relaxation is, I need basketball to start. I desperately need basketball to start. I can't lie to you, Krell. Yeah, you know what? I was texting with, another, with a buddy of mine who's on the beat as well, and I was like, I was like, I was watching this, like, most memorable moments from 21-22 on YouTube mm -hmm. just because I wanted to see what they had. And I was like, damn, I really miss this. Like, I, I, yeah. I miss it desperately. See, for me, I think the thing I enjoy most about football is that it kind of breaks up the continuity of the work week. So, like, week starts on Monday, the start of the work week. You might have had a bad day at work on Monday. You didn't want to get out of bed. You got a Monday night game. Then you're checking fantasy, playing DraftKings, whatever. Here's Thursday night. And Thursday is always, for me at least, the best day of the week because that's when the weekend starts, Thursday night. And then Sunday, you could just relax for 14 hours and watch football. So you, you really get three days, sometimes four a week uh, with football. But all that said, basketball to me is just more entertaining. I, I love the culture associated with basketball, all the music, all the, the, the clothes, the fits. Uh, the way Twitter gets during a game when a trade happens. I I, I, I can't put into words how much I love basketball, and, and I'm sure with you it's the same. That's why we do this. Yeah, it's – I can't sit through a whole football game unless it's the Eagles. I, really? Because we know what it is. Football is, like, by default the third sport that I'm into. Okay. So, like, I don't really know any of the players, like, really at all. All right. Well, it's still better than the September Phillies. Watching football. So the I watch every Phillies game. I watch every game, but I can't watch. I, I I can't watch baseball outside of the Phillies. I just can't do it because it's so slow and so boring. Yeah. But basketball, I can put on any time of the day, any mm -hmm. day of the week, any team, and get lost in it. And like it'll, I'll go looking at stats after something, or you know what have you. So that so that, you know that that really is my sport. What is what is work for you these days? What what is what is, what is the post grad? Like? Oh, come on, man! I usually don't have to answer this until Christmas time when when my family's pressing me about it. Um, 
So I've been doing a whole bunch of different stuff post-grad. Uh, I've, I've been looking for stuff in my field. Um, but the main goal for me right now is, is to really stay independent for as long as possible. So that's why I'm still pursuing everything on YouTube. Uh, this season, I'm expanding. I'm getting on a Twitch and TikTok, maybe Instagram. I'm trying to keep everything in order and, and post on a ton of different platforms so that way I could get different eyes. But uh, when I'm not making my content, I'm just doing all different part-time stuff right now. If something comes up in my field specifically, I'd, been, I, I'd be more than happy to explore it. But uh, at the moment, I've just been doing all different part-time stuff while, while still kind of pursuing content full-time. You know, I think that's the I think that's kind of the right way to go about it. Well, uh, I mean, you, you think about it. Uh, and not to go on a tangent here. You get too bogged down in something that you're really not interested in, but you do it for just for the sake of having an income. You're not gonna. It's rare that you find a job that will afford you enough time to do what you want to do. Of course, and I'm very fortunate that uh, my family, and more specifically my dad, is in full support of what I do. Like everything you see here, he he painted the wall, the shelves, the the desk, the mic I have. Uh, that's all credit to my dad. So fortunately, he's in full support. And he's like, look, if this is what you're passionate about, this is what you want to pursue. Now's the time to do it. Uh, you take a risk. So that's essentially what I'm doing. Uh, I would be lying if I said it's 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 not um, uh, disheartening to look around and see people that I maybe went to school with or maybe worked with that are getting jobs in the field doing something like this or that out in a different state or, or very uh, uh, entry level for a company. But at the same time, I have to play the long game. And uh, ultimately, what I'm pursuing is is kind of independent. Uh, I want to create my own content. I want to be my own boss. I don't want to wear a uniform, and I'm probably not going to have to. I'm not going to be able to accomplish that, like doing entry level stuff and 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 running around doing all this. So uh, that's that's a that's a different conversation for a different day. You you put me on the spot with that one. Like I said, I usually don't have to answer those questions uh, unless it's the month of December. But you and I have to catch up. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that I, I always tell people who are like, you know, and I'm not saying this is you, but people mm -hmm. who are trying to rush the process or they're trying to, you know, they're, they're getting disheartened by it. It's not your typical run of the mill industry. This is not like the financial services industry. This isn't medicine. This isn't law. You're not, you know, uh, in a lab somewhere making, you know, working pharmaceuticals or engineering, what have you. This isn't, this is not your typical industry. So don't expect it to follow a normal career arc or a normal path to get I like to where that. you want to go. Um, yeah, I like I, that. That's what I would say. So if you want it, you got to just keep your head down and keep working and let and let all and let all the blows, let all the uh, all all the detours, all of the people who you see making strides and you think you're better than, you got to <clears throat> let those things just bump off your chest because if you let them wait, if you let if you let them weigh you down, you're cooked. Look at you dropping gems, bro. I I, yeah. I can't lie. I feel great after that. I feel great. I, I definitely do. I appreciate your words of wisdom. And uh, Krell, without giving you too much praise, you're someone who's really worked from, from a point of where you were pretty independent to uh, now you're essentially running your own operation. You, you you know what to tweet. You know what to write. People love your stuff. You're, you're big leagues now. <laughs> yeah, or, or they hate you. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the trade-off. But yeah. You're big leagues now, so I definitely got to give credit where credit is due, and I'm, I'm happy to have uh, stayed stayed in contact with you all this time. I tried. The progression is is the progression is rarely linear. That's yeah. that's the truth. Anyway, that's people came here to listen to us talk about basketball. Not, Did they? 
yet. No, we were not here to blow smoke up each other's asses. Yeah. So uh, let's get down to it. So the thing I've been thinking about recently, especially with the signing of Montrez Harrell, as much vitriol and as much division as that signing has caused, which team in the NBA has had the best offseason? That doesn't mean which team in the NBA is the best team in the NBA. That doesn't mean that you're, that this listener, that your favorite team is not good or that your team had a bad offseason. This is just simply all the teams that made moves and made progress this year, which team made the most? Which team used the most of their roster space, of their assets, of their resources? Brock, give me a, a non-Sixers team. Give me one team that you're that you're very intrigued by. We'll start off there. So I'm tempted to say a few teams, notably uh, the first two that come to mind would be Minnesota after yes. the Rudy Gobert trade. They get Kyle Anderson, they add Austin Rivers, and Cleveland because although they didn't fill the margins out great, they got Donovan Mitchell and they already have a great core. I'm going to say Denver had the best offseason outside of Philadelphia in the NBA. And the reason why I'm saying that is you have Nikola Jokic, back-to-back MVP, you have Jamal Murray coming off an injury who looks fully healthy. Michael Porter Jr. And although they didn't acquire those three players, they filled the margins around those three. They were already a top six seed in the West. The West, by the way, Krell, is, is going to be deadly next season. I mean, you and I could go top to bottom. There's 12 teams that can make the playoffs. So for Denver to move from maybe that five, six, seven spot up to a one through three seed, I think it's going to be crucial, especially in the playoffs for maybe seating home court, whatever. But they have a narrative to spell because they've lost in the playoffs and pretty early of late. So I think they had the best offseason because you get Bruce Brown on a very team friendly contract. That's a great player to not only have on your team, just defensive presence, the mentality, but also to pair with Jokic screening and rolling, handling backdoor cuts, things like that. I think Ish Smith, for what he might lack in terms of scoring compared to Monte Morris, makes up for him playmaking. He's a good distributor. Uh, Bones Highland is a guy that they're confident giving the keys to off of the bench. He's going to give you 12 to 15 points per game. But now he doesn't have to compete for touches with Morris, with Barton. And speaking of Barton, they kind of replaced him with KCP, who's a, 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 a tremendous 3 and D player in the NBA at this point in his career. I mean, is he going to give you 25? No, but he could give you 15 to 20 and play rock-solid defense. And I think Denver, they didn't need offense, especially with, like I said, Murray and MPJ coming back. They needed dogs on the roster, guys that are going to set screens, that are going to put a body on someone. They're going to box someone out, get boards, do all the dirty work. I think they addressed that. They had a good draft, and because of that, I think Denver is going to be a one through four seed in the West next season. So I should have started with the caveat of can't be your, your additions cannot be just guys that you already had getting healthy. Mm-hmm. It has to be free agent additions or trade. So okay. Denver makes a trade for Keith KCP and 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 Ishmith. Um, I gotta say, like if the if you're looking for like the perfect modern backup point guard, that really is Ishmith. In yeah. fact, you like I think he was a couple. His prime was a couple years too early for what he is. And he's just a speedster. He's a little bit, he has some craft to him. Um, and he's going to, you know, he just opens up the floor for everybody and anybody. Yeah, everybody. But more, most importantly, I think anybody who is in the game without Jokic. Mm-hmm. And so, cause, cause you, they're going to need 
facilitators, guys to just bend defenses. I'm not saying that he has like the 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 gravity to do that, but he knows how to manipulate pace and 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 kind of weave in and out of divots and spaces on the court and 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 get his guys involved. Um, so I, I think that's a it's, a it's a good trade. Obviously, and I, I I forgot arguably their biggest addition of the offseason, the first uh, free DeAndre, agent signed at, at, at the inception of free agency, DeAndre Jordan, Sixers legend. Three, like however many months later it is, I the only logical explanation is that they wanted to bring somebody in who would eat at the net rating so badly that when it <laughs> came on, it would be like this guy has to be a third time MVP because yeah. look at how much better they are. Like, <laughs> um, I think that's funny, yeah. I mean, well, how else do you explain it? Um, but I mean, KCP, I think, is a huge get for them just to add some shooting. Barton wasn't a good enough shooter. Like he was an okay shooter, but he wasn't like what KCP can be at his best. Um, so you know, I I think they're going to be really good this year. I'm still suspect. I think it's hard to sort of project or like put too much weight into MPJ without knowing what that back injury is. It wasn't like it was an ankle fracture or something that is common. Like if it like back injuries with guys that are you know, huge athletes. Six ten, are, yeah. Yeah, are 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 are, are tough to project. Mm-hmm. His saving grace is gonna be that he's a great shooter as is. So even if the back injury limits his athleticism and lowers his ceiling a little bit, he can still be an easy 20, 25 points a game guy just because he's a great shooter. Um but yeah, I agree with you. They are walking in the training camp a better team than they did last offseason even though they didn't change their roster around that much. Your Minnesota pick, I like that pick a lot. Um, I'm very, very interested to see how Towns looks at power forward because, oh, yeah. because I, I, I'm not sure it's a good thing, but is what I'm saying. I've, because, I've, I've heard people say the same. I'm curious. What, so what makes you say that? Is it because he's, he's going to have to alter his game a little bit? What makes you say that? So I think the modern power forward, has to kind of be a little smaller and a little bit more nimble on their feet. Okay. I think, I think cat has really just big feet. And I think when you have big feet, it's a little harder to move with the agility you need to like really stay in front of smaller ball handlers and, and, and forwards on the court. I think when you're a center and you're naturally sort of anchoring to the rim or you're going out and guarding other centers on the perimeter, it's a little bit easier to mask that because they're operating in the same speed as you, or they're in the same space on the court. So you don't have to move that much, but with, you know, a power forward, I think it's going to be tough. Obviously, if you add Rudy Gobert to that mix, you're going to be pretty, you're going, you're making a bet that he is a good enough defender to cover up any kind of dribble penetration that Towns gives up. Um, offensive, they, bet, they bet five years of their future for that. Yeah, basically. Um, I I do think that in terms of offensive fit, you couldn't have asked for a better match. Uh, Because Cat is a sniper. Um, He can space out for Gobert. I do wonder wonder if maybe we see Cat's offensive game take a little bit of a step back because he isn't getting inside as much. But he wasn't always that physical of a big anyway. He was always more of a shooting big. Uh, then he, I mean, they're already anointing him the best big man shooter ever. As if which, which, shooter. which you can't do, but yeah. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll hear you out. But Dirk, yeah. as long as Dirk Nowitzki has that body of work, I'm not going to let you get away yeah. with it. Yeah, I, I think Anderson is a 
is interesting just because he's not much oh, of a well, shooter, but yeah. he's a, he, he can kind of do a little bit with the ball. Um, and his, you know, obviously he's a defensive addition on the, on the perimeter. Um, Bryn Forbes. I love that signing. Another I think that's one. a perfect signing. Listen, I love everything Minnesota does or did this off season. I think Ant is stud. Ant's ridiculous. He's a stud. Well, you, you said we can't count a player coming back with more like develop their game or got healthy, but Dog, I think Ann Edwards is going to be a top 12 to 15 player in, in, in a matter of months. Oh, yeah. No, no. Ant is not in that category because he's not coming off like a major suspect. Back but, but but I'm just saying, like, the fact yeah. that you get another year of Ant developing in the lab, yeah. he comes back a little stronger, quicker, faster, whatever, polished his game. I think Ant is, is a potential perennial MVP candidate in a couple of years. But within a matter of months, that kid will be a top 12 to 15 player. Yeah, and I, I think – his progression as a, as a shot creator, as a ball handler, D'Lo's presence there, even though I'm kind of over D'Lo mm-hmm. at this point, I think that's a little bit different of a look to the offense than what Utah had in, in Mitchell and, and Conley. Um, so, I mean, I, I do think that, that there's a, a healthy ecosystem there where they can coexist as ball handlers and it makes sense with Gobert there. And I think having Forbes on that weak side waiting that waiting for when they trap Ant or they trap Towns or there's a backdoor cutter and then he, they kick out to Forbes on the weak side because of the collapse. I, I think they have some really nice pieces there. I also think Austin Rivers is an under, underrated addition just because he's a very good corner spot up shooter, um, can play off the ball. Um, and, you know, I, I, everything they did, it was economical. Um, and I think they've slowly but surely gotten gotten better and they're they cashed in on they cashed in on, on gobert I, I i think i think they're gonna be awesome um that's probably a top four or five seed to me and it isn't just because like the reason i'm not higher or that i don't have them higher is because the west is so competitive oh my gosh um, like i think i think this is probably a 50 a 48 to 52 53 win team i think that's a fair ceiling yeah. I mean, their, their their defense is going to be incredible, as is, because you had Gobert, Ant takes pride in checking dudes. Cat at the four, regardless, is is still tough to get anything inside of the paint against those two. Um, so I'll probably co-sign. I think 45 to 50 is a fair ceiling for Minnesota. Where do you stand on Phoenix? Meaning what? What, what they can do next like, season? Like their offseason. Well, I think what happened in the postseason last year was that Phoenix didn't really do anything. They got punched in the mouth, and they just wrote out the, we're Phoenix, we have Devin Booker, we have Chris Paul, we have D.A. Um, But within that, there was D.A. turmoil, and Luka was headhunting D.A. and D-Book and Chris Paul. I think anytime you have a roster that's headlined by those three and Monty Williams is the coach, you're going to compete except Phoenix has gotten exposed in the playoffs, not once, but twice. So to me, I'm a little out on Phoenix. I think Phoenix still has a pretty high ceiling. Uh, and like I said, anytime you have Chris Paul, D-Book, and Aiton on the floor, it doesn't really matter who you surround them with or who's going to come off of the bench. They're going to compete. And they have a good roster, but I just keep seeing teams in the West get stronger. Like New Orleans is primed to have a great season. Dallas got stronger in all the areas that they needed to. The Lakers, for all we know, can be in the playoffs and dominate, provided AD's healthy, LeBron James is on point. Uh, so to me, 
Phoenix isn't as big, bad, and scary as they were a year or two ago. The 55-60 wins the first seed in the West, it doesn't mean much. And, and this offseason, what did they really do? They, they, they botched the DA situation and then had to hand them out a, what, four-year, five-year deal? Yeah, so Phoenix is a, is a very good regular season team, right? Like, of course. Very, very, very good. They're going to be a high seed. Um, I do have a lot of concerns about them right now. Mm-hmm. Be- not, not, not because of like they didn't do much. They didn't have to do much. Like, like they were the top seed in the in the West. And I mean, I think ninety nine times out of hundred, they're probably going to win that game against the Mavs. Um, just be- I think the Ma- I think the, the Mavs caught them on a bad night and just crushed their soul. Um, and also, Luca was insane. But um, crazy. yeah, but I mean, I, I think if you look at how they went down, like. They scapegoat DA, um, and they clearly didn't want him. They were trying to, you know, find a way to get off his contract and trade to get Kevin Durant. Um, they didn't even give him the five-year extension. They gave him the four-year, which is the four, yeah. Which, which, given how the CBA works, basically like saying we'll extend you just to have you under our asset mix, but we're gonna try to, like we would move off of you in a heartbeat. We good. Um, so I think there's probably gonna be some bad will there. And I think also just like the way that they went down without a swing in that second round um, can break a franchise and it can, that, that, that can close your window right there. And, you know, Zach Lowe says this all the time, not to copy Zach Lowe, but I, I, I do think there's a lot of truth in his idea that like you really never, never know how many shots you have at this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, like we didn't know, five, six years ago that the Sixers, you know, we thought 2017, 18, when the Sixers lost to the Celtics second round, we thought, oh, you know, they'll be back. You know, it's, you know, this is the, this is the beginning of a decade of, of, of greatness. And they're going to be in the Eastern Conference finals next year or the champions, you know, whatever. And right now it's like, they're, they're teetering on like, how do we get the most out of this in the next two to three years? And that wasn't that long ago. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's truth in that you ne- that there's always someone coming up. You there's and you can you can get knocked down a peg at any moment with your own losses and shortcomings. Um so Phoenix scares me a little bit, but I still give them their credit. I think they're, you know, they're they're a really good team. Got to respect them. Yeah, I like the additions of Damian. I like the addition of Damian Lee a lot. Just a a a fine, you know, wing um doesn't really need the ball in his hand and just going to, he's just going to defend his ass off on the perimeter mm-hmm. and you can never have enough of those just wingish defenders that don't really need the ball. They're just sort of good catch and shoot role players. Um, but obviously a lot, they're, they're kind of counting on, we're just going to run it back and we're going to be fucking great. Exactly. And just real quickly, because we're speaking of Phoenix and we alluded to Dallas beating them. How do you feel about Dallas's off season? Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, not tough because I think they had a mostly a bad offseason, right? Really? Um, yeah. Oh, because like they, they you lose Brunson for nothing. Lose Brunson. It, it's, it's okay to lose Brunson. Like you can lose Brunson. It's not a big deal. Losing him for nothing. And then the backdrop of you could have just kept them for 55 million. Yeah. <laughs> you had an opportunity to do that. You, you. you did you bet against him and he left you for 104. Um so that's tough. Uh I, I think they I think a ball handler, a secondary ball handler next to Luca is probably 
number two or number one on their priority list right now. But I do like the pivot to go get uh, Christian Wood. I and Javale, and Javale too. Yeah, yeah the rim protection. Yeah, for for sure. And I think that's a a nice vertical lab threat next to Luca. Um, I'm curious if they bring Christian Wood off the bench mm-hmm. or if they start him. Um, but I do I do like the like they have a closing lineup of uh Luca Wood DFS uh Tim Hardaway, I guess if he's healthy and, and on the team still. Yeah, or Bullock. Reggie uh Yeah. And uh, Maxi Kleba. They I, I mean they're flexible. I like Dallas a lot in the playoffs last year. It was just unfortunate that they ran into Golden State. And if you trail eight or more points going into the fourth quarter against Golden State before Boston debunked that, you're done. And that kept happening to Dallas. They'd either trail going into the fourth or nobody outside of Luka would hit their shots. You know, Maxi, DFS, and Bullock will go combine three for 17 one night, and then they'd hit 10 threes in the first half the next game. So uh, a little more consistency uh, from everybody not named Luka on Dallas, I think, takes them a little further. I think this is going to be Luca's golden year to win MVP. In fact, I, I submitted my ballot to SI. Did you? One of their contributors asked me to partake in it. And I was like, I don't see a world where it's not Luca. Look at, I mean, look at the narratives. Like every year they have the narratives built during the summer, like the pre, the, the, the before the season, like the summer before the season even happens. And all you hear is Luca. Luca is in the FIBA t- carrying it up. Oh, he's um, in great shape. He's yeah. In great shape. And, you know he's going to be the highest usage player on that Mavericks team if they can, if if they can get back to where they were, or even just blow everybody out in the regular season. Luca's going to have a great chance at winning MVP. I know people think that Joel has a chance at winning it. I think he obviously has a chance to be his great self, but I, I think if he was going to win it, it was going to happen one of the last two years. And it should have, but I also hear you. The, the The narrative is probably a little spicier for Luca. I'm still rocking with Embiid, but I've been saying, uh, let the record show. Well, I guess not a record. It's just among my friends, my dad, whatever. Uh, that I think if Embiid doesn't win, it's going to be Luca. And realistically, I do think Luca wins because, uh, you know, what happened with Embiid last year was individually. I don't think there was a player more dominant. But when Harden came in that final quarter of the season, uh, Embiid wasn't the same face up, turn, fade, baseline, step back. He was more of pick and roll, pick and pop, shoot the three, dominate down low, go to the line. And I think because of that, that's going to help them win more, but it's going to deter him from winning MVP. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, in terms of what the chemistry is going to look like, what Embiid's game is going to look like with Harden after a full offseason. But uh, I'll co-sign that as well. I think Luke is, is the top dog for MVP heading into this season. Yeah, if I said it once, said it a thousand times, Jokic, ha- Jokic grabs the benefit of a majority of voters that are just analytical freaks, mm-hmm. and it's a disgust. It's a disgrace, like that he won it last year. It's I mean, crazy. Jokic, Jokic is 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 he's he's one of the best players that I've ever watched, right? And and in today's game, he's one of the best players. Period. The problem is, I just enjoy watching what Embiid does more. Okay, you can run an offense through both of them. Jokic is going to play point and Bede's going to be the shooting guard. They're both seven feet. So, so, so they're, they're unique. They're hybrids. You've never really seen anything like them, but 
I think, okay, two years ago, Embiid was supposed to win it, but he only played, what, 68 games or he missed 12 games, whatever. Uh, but had he played the full season, he would have won. I don't think Jokic did anything significantly different last season compared to the season before where he won MVP, whereas Embiid didn't have Ben. The team didn't have a point guard. He was putting it on the floor and playing coast to coast. He was playmaking, playing in the post, dropping 40 balls, 50 balls all by himself before they got hardened. So I was like, you can, you, you can clearly see improvement in Embiid's game from year to year. Jokic won it two years ago, and I don't think he did anything differently this season. He was the same Jokic. I think that people like, I think people like romanticize like people act as if they've never seen a big man make a pass before, and I get it. Like big men traditionally aren't going to be like the 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 the, the catalyst of your offense as facilitators. Mm-hmm. Like every clip of him, you go and you go and you watch, and he makes like a he makes a pass, even if it's like under the slightest bit of duress. It, like everyone loses their minds, and yeah. and I'm like I'm, I'm like I'm like can we just grade him on like an, a a playing field that makes sense? Like we don't have to romanticize every pass that he makes. It's so polarizing. There, there, there's no middle ground. It's like the Ben Simmons nonsense from, from three years ago. There's no middle ground. You either love Jokic and hate Embiid, or you love Embiid and hate Jokic. I don't mind Nikola Jokic. He's a great oh, well, you and I don't because we, 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 we know what we're watching. We understand the stakes. Yeah. But, but, but fans generalizing um, either love him or hate him, and it's the same with Embiid. Yeah. I also wonder if Joel played for a different team if he would have won it. Because I, I do think, you that think the, the the Philly narrative, the setting effects. I kind of listen. A couple years ago, I would have disagreed. At this point, I kind, I kind, I mean, the guy didn't make first team All NBA. Yeah, I understand that there's positional requirements, but you they even told me there were four. Could make it. They even said they, you can fight. You can put him in power forward. And they yeah, said, no. so at this point, there, there's a conspiracy against Philly, the city of Philly. They they don't like Philly, but you know what? That's why they went out and got PJ and got DeAnthony and got Trez. Because you don't like us, you're really not going to like us now. We we got something for you. Let's go over to an, a team that, despite a summer of tumult, I think actually had a pretty decent offseason. Who's that? The Brooklyn. Who's summer of tumult? Who? The Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn. It's funny uh, when, when you hit me and you were like, "We're going to talk about which team had the best offseason." I'm pitching with my, my my old man, and I'm, I'm I'm talking about teams. He said, "You know what? You could say Brooklyn, because Brooklyn didn't trade Kyrie or KD. They got them both back. They got Royce O'Neal and Ben's going to play." So I don't qualify Kevin Durant not getting his trade request and Kyrie agreeing to come back right. as a good offseason. Like, congrats! You, the damage control has been done to some extent. <laughs> By the way, everything I've heard about Kevin Durant. Uh, privately, it's that this trade's still going to happen at some point, but he's kind of conceded now and that he doesn't feel like fighting it and he's just going to come out and play. And then down the line, if it's a trade deadline or what have you, it, they'll, they'll see if what the packages look like then. But I, I, the, the marriage is not the marriage is not healed. They're right now they're in like a very uh, they're in a couple's therapy to see if they can just manage to stay in the same house together. Okay, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I like. I think TJ Warren on a minimum is an awesome deal. Oh yeah, TJ. Because if he if he's if he's like if he's his old self, that's a microwave. Micro and efficient too. He's he's not going to take bad shots really. Yeah, off your bench. Um, Don't sleep on the Yuta Watanabe addition. Okay, he was deep on Toronto's bench because they had a lot of size naturally, and 
he's not like you know they have a lot of athleticism. I do think that if you you know if, if you're th- if you're trying to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks at, at your at your center position, maybe try that. I, I don't know that it's going to work, but spreading the floor and you know a guy that can shoot the ball and just see what he is because you know he's he's an inexpensive signing. Um, he was been, he's been buried on the bench in in Toronto for a reason, obviously. But I think you also make the case that like they had uh, Scotty Barnes and they had you know Siakam and they had this guy and that guy in his way. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, I do like the I, I like the Yuta addition. Okay, um, but I think all in all, like they fortified some of their some of their depth. They they made some nice signings on the margins. They retained Patty Mills, um, and. I think they 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 have a chance to if if even if they they end up sucking because they're because mom and dad can't can't keep it together, I think they have some interesting pieces on that team, and I think on paper that's a nice offseason. So, do you think Ben is going to play? Like Ben Ben should be playing, right? Barring any setback in the recovery, I was told that he should be ready by opening night. I I, I think the same. My only concern with Brooklyn is that their defense is going to be the same defense, the same the, the same problem that they've had for two, three seasons now, right? Uh, Kyrie, one of the best creators in the sport period. KD, one of the best scorers and players in the sport period. You could give praise to Ben. They don't have a center. They don't have a big. And you can try to outscore teams all you want, but when you run into Giannis, when you run into Boston, when you run into Joel Embiid, you can't throw Nick Claxton on him. You, you, you can't put you Ben Simmons sure can't, on him. You can't throw Ben Simmons at Joel Embiid. Of course. Joel, so I, not, I, I, need them to, I need them to get a center that's not DeAndre Jordan, that's not Blake Griffin, that's not Nick Claxton, for me to respect them as, as okay, this team's a legitimate contender because their defense has failed them in, in, in two straight seasons. People are like, well, at least Nets fans are like, Oh, I can't wait for Ben Simmons at the five. And I'm like, I got something. Yeah, yeah, you wait. <laughs> Buddy, listen. I, and, and I was, <laughs> I, I, to this day, I'm one of the big Ben Simmons. Like, I see the value in what he does in the court. That dude it cannot play center. No. He's not, he doesn't have the vertical pop. He, you know, it, it, he, he doesn't, he doesn't fight with the physicality that you need when you're a small ball center. I, I think you can go five out in a small lineup and just kind of forfeit the defensive end and hope that you that you can be active in the passing lanes. Yeah. But you're not going to stop anybody at the rim with Ben Simmons. Like of course not. not. And 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 sure you can you you can forfeit some defense like you said and, and try to outscore a team. But what happens when you run into Boston or Milwaukee or Philly now, who are all capable of scoring 120? They they can keep up offensively. KD, Kyrie, sure they can keep up offensively. You got to play defense. You have to get stops. Um. Let's go over to the Celtics, who didn't really have a ton to change this offseason because they came within a, a, a victory of a Game 7 NBA Finals where they where anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they add Gallinari. He probably won't play this year because of the ACL, unfortunately for him. Um, I really like the Malcolm Brogdon addition. How can on you paper. not? Um, obviously, the health concerns. And if, and if he can't stay healthy, then – I think the ball, I think Boston could take a step back because they just didn't do anything. And while they are going to be very good, I do wonder if like at some point they start like getting exhausted of playing the brand of defense that they play um, and trying to carry the load between uh, 
Tatum and Brown. And then also, I don't think you're going to get the same Al Horford that you got because that, that happened after he took a year and change off with OKC. Um, so, you know, I think he'll get a little bit top. I think he'll, it wouldn't surprise me if the old man uh, syndrome took, took, took effect on Catches Horford. up quickly. Yeah. But uh, I do think this about Boston. I, I, I think Derek White was great for them because he sped up their decision-making on the court and really made it easier for them to play together. Stop with the Marcus Smart, Derek White in your starting backcourt. Or, or the, the start, stop with the Marcus Smart at punk guard thing. That, it's not a thing. It, it doesn't exist. I, 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 can't, I can't go with Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Al Warford, and Rob Williams. Stop it. Stop that. So- no. No, 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 no. We're not doing, we're not doing it. This really? Is, this is what the starting lineup should be. And if not the starting lineup, their closing lineup. Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, okay, Tatum, Brown, and then I guess Rob Williams. Okay. They had no they, – they lost those finals. And I was doing some research on this the other night. Some of the worst offensive lineups were the Boston Celtics lineups. In the last were season. they? Because – the longer they went on, it became more and more obvious that they did not have a point guard on their roster. And Marcus Smart is not Marcus a point Smart guard. Is, he, he, he's, he's not a smack you for that. <laughs> he's not a point guard. He's not a facilitator of their offense. They're, you can't just enter the ball in the Tatum in the post on a horn set and then be like, all right, we're going to go isolate Tatum now. Like Just because you can make that entry pass to Jason Tatum and get him the ball doesn't make you a point guard. I think Malcolm Brogdon is an awesome facilitator for them. And – if they have him on the roster last year, I might have. I'm. They, they might be the champions. But I. I just. I. I can't watch Marcus Smart at point guard. He's not a point guard. And as the finals went on and Boston shit themselves, it became evidently. It became more evident that while Boston might have been the better team, than I, who? Golden State. Yeah. I knew that. Or at least the more athletic team, the, the less mm-hmm. flawed team. I, 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 you might be able to say. I do think that they are their offense cri- sputtered because they didn't have a point guard. I hear you. I, I do think it's critical that you not only have a guy that can individually attack and create and put pressure on the rim, which is something that Brogdon can clearly do better than Marcus Smart, uh, but also just get guys into their spots and, and ensure the offense most, uh, flows smoothly. Uh, so at times I did think that was a detriment. But to me, when I look at Boston, I think Boston has the perfect type team for the NBA, the, the modern NBA. I think Boston's primed to be good for uh, many years because if you think about it, they have two point guards. They have two guys that are 6'6 six, six and up. I, I mean, what's JB? They say JB is about 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, uh, so we'll call JB a little taller than 6'6, six, six, uh, but Tatum 6'8, six, 6'9. Six, Both of those guys can handle. Both of those guys can attack. Both of them can dribble. They can, they can protect the pill. They can play make, as Tatum showed in the playoffs when his offense wasn't on point. He was able to play make and help his teammates out that way. Uh, Rob Williams, versatile defensive big. And if provided Al Horford is healthy and, and you know the old man syndrome doesn't catch up to him, I think they're in a good position. I think if Gallo stayed healthy, they'd be even scarier. Uh, unfortunately, that's a bad loss for them, but to go to the finals, to compete with Golden State, to come back in some of those games, to battle with that team, and, and to get a little stronger. They, they really didn't lose much. I mean, they lost Daniel Tyson and, 
Aaron Neesmith, I believe, but they really didn't lose much. So to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think you'll see them for uh, many years making deep runs in the playoffs. All right. I'm going to give you a couple teams here, and you pick which one you want to go to. We have the Milwaukee Bucks. We have Golden State Warriors. We have the Cavaliers. And let's see who else I wanted to touch on. Um, Bucks, Warriors, and Cavs. Uh, I know who I I know out of that bunch who I'd want to talk about. All right, pick pick who. Or like, I would like, say the. I mean, look the 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 Bucks are the Bucks. They got Joe Ingles. They really. I, that's one of my favorite signings of the offseason. Yeah, it's underrated. I love Joe Ingles in Milwaukee. Of course, he's he's, he's going to be good for them. That's another offensive weapon, and and to bring him off of the bench or start him, do whatever uh, need be. That's good for the Bucks. But the Bucks are the see, Bucks. Can, can I tell you what I want to say? Yeah, I want to see a four-five pick and roll with Giannis and Ingles. <laughs> Ingles is too. What, what's he going to do? Handle? What? He's the yeah, ball handler. Ingles has been a ball handler before. He can. He can. He he's can slow and old. He's slow and old. I, I'd rather see that with Drew and Giannis. Um, uh, the Warriors are also the Warriors. Bucks and Warriors are, are going to be a top of the NBA until until their top dogs give out. I want to talk about the Cavaliers because. I mean, the Cavs potentially have the deadliest backcourt in the NBA. Darius Garland is 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 one of, if not my favorite point guard in basketball. The things Darius Garland does with the ball uh, should be illegal. The way he just moves the ball and, and tricks defenses and changes his pace, it's mesmerizing. So I love Garland. Donovan Mitchell, say what you want to say about Utah's shortcomings. Donovan Mitchell, in terms of lacing up and attacking someone, one of the scariest dudes in the league because yeah. he's trying to take your head off. He's just going to go, go, go. So you got those two. You've got Mobley, who Mobley offensively and defensively is super polished for his age, for only being in the NBA for a year is incredible, right? Mobley can do a ton of things. He's versatile. He's big, so he can defend multiple positions. Offensively, he's not limited by his size. Jared Allen, although he is, I'd say, one-dimensional, at least offensively, all he's going to do is screen and roll and grab boards, put him back up, putbacks, whatever. He's still seven feet, still a stout defender, and that's still a guy that you have to worry about around the basket. So you've got your building blocks. Now you can get creative. You've got a good bench. Kevin Love had, I wouldn't say a career year, given context, because K-Love back in Minnesota made a killing. But um, Uh, Minnesota. From 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 where he was a couple of years ago with Cleveland, with the injuries and post LeBron, Kevin Love had such a good bounce back year last year. I mean, he was a potential sixth man. So you've got Kevin Love, you've got Chetty Osman, you've got Karis Levert, you've got Isaac Okoro. You you can pick and play whoever you want to put at that three spot. You, you keep Karis there. You get offense. You develop Okoro there. You get defense. You bring Karis off of the bench. And they did add a couple of free agents. They, they, they got a little deeper. So I think Cleveland goes from, if they don't have Donovan Mitchell, a seven or eight seed, to now I think they're a legitimate uh, four or five seed in the East. So Cleveland, before their injuries, after, you know, like around the All-Star break last year, it derailed their season. They were like top three seed in the East, I want to say. They were, I think, 14 games above 500. A point one point in the season so they were good 
as is. Like barring injury, they were going to be a playoff team and and you know a a good one as is. I I love the Mitchell addition. My first reaction was that the Knicks fucked up, and I still think that they, they – I still hold my position that you can't go all summer saying, like, yeah, we're going to be a dog in this Donovan Mitchell race, and we're going to go get the star, and you know, we're the Knicks, I'm Leon Rose, and we're a wide less, and blah, blah, blah. You can't then go ahead and lose that deal and not, have, not make the deal. You have to like, like, – like, 100%. 100%. You agree? 100%. And especially given – now listen, they were saying all off season, uh, Utah's asking for the family and the farm for Donovan Mitchell. The the, the Cavs didn't really give up that much to get him. No, but they give they gave three first round picks they, and Lowry Markinen was the best player in the deal. Well, so, I mean so, Colin Sexton. My apologies, but so Oshai Abaji was was in the deal. Colin Sexton was in the deal. They're probably going to flip Sexton now. Yeah, they weren't going to they weren't going to sign Sexton. So it, it, it's it's not like they really gave anything up. But I definitely I, I I think the Knicks fucked up. But ultimately, I think the better the, the better I think Cleveland made more sense to get him um, because I think the Knicks are still just very far away. But I I, I think Donovan Mitchell in more of an off ball role uh, might take a little bit to gel. But I think is it's awesome make his life a little easier. A lot, lot of lot less energy has to exert on the court to make him to make himself an effective offensive player. They're going to have defensive issues because neither Garland nor Mitchell are competent defenders. But right. I think you have Jared Allen and you have Evan Mobley, whose profiles is probably the best of that four long term. Um, and you have those two guys in de- defending the basket. I mean, you'll take your chances with a backcourt that can't defend worth shit. But I, I, I think they're easily a top four seed in the East right now. Um, they had they had a tremendous offseason, and I think. You know they still maintained some of their depth. Like they didn't have to give up uh, Jetty. They, I mean, they added Robin Lopez. They added how both underrated Ricky Rubio. Like this is a really fucking good team. And if the 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 only reason they may not be a top three seed in the East is if because they have three teams that might be better than them. Yeah, I I think this is a like I I don't think it's going to be their own shortcomings. I think it might just be that teams. That that there's a juggernaut top three in the East, and that you know they're gonna you're gonna ultimately have some losses, but I, I like Cleveland a lot. The Lakers, as much shit as they get, and they deserve their shit because they're stupid. I think they had an okay offseason. Like they, they they added Thomas Bryant, a nice stretch five. Yeah, sure. They add Damian Jones, yeah, you know, a decent five. Troy um, Brown. Juan Toscano Anderson, I think, is a nice pickup for them defensively. They get Lonnie Walker on a on a, on a very short deal. Another good they, one. And they they just turned, they, you know, they just helped Malik Monk get paid. So, you know, there is something there. Obviously, the whole Russell Westbrook thing lingers over them, and they should never have done that deal in the first place because that was ridiculous. But I think they had a really decent offseason. Well, you let uh you let Pat Bev tell it. He's coming in there to teach them how to win. He did it in Minnesota. He'll do it in LA. That dude is full charisma. That dude is very little skill, full charisma, and I love it. Um, <laughs> you know what team we haven't even mentioned yet that had a, a great off season? The Atlanta Hawks. I don't know that I believe they had a great off season. Why is it? Because because well, you're, so, you're curious how the ball handling is going to work between well, so, Trey and Dejounte. First of all, um, my favorite signing. Besides Ingles is is Dante DiVincenzo in Golden State, so yeah. I will shout that out. I think that's going to be an awesome fit. 
for him. I think they're going to get him paid. And they also added uh, Jamichael Green for, you know, off the average. So, you know, they have stretch, they have some shooting now. Um, I think given that they're trying to, you know, figure out how, how you're going to plan for Draymond's free agency and whatnot. And, and, you know, when Wiggins upcoming, I think that they added some nice pieces on short deals. Uh, really good stuff there. Um, I think like when, when you're Golden State and you're just trying to fill out your bench, you're constantly recycling guys and you're, you're churning, you're churning, you're, you're churning bench players. And so you lose Juan Toscano Anderson, you lose, um, GP two. Yep. You add Dante, you add Jamichael Green, much different players, much different types, but at just a different flavor in your second unit that, that you know, might fit and or work out in a different way. So I, I, I love it. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, interesting team. They sign Aaron Holiday as a free agent. Um, they add Frank Kaminsky. I think they traded for uh, Justin Holiday too. They, that that was in the uh, Kevin Herter deal. It was okay. Yeah. So they have both holidays. Both holidays. Um, listen, Dejounte Murray is a great player. Like really, really good young player. Um, I just, I just don't know with them. Like the John okay. Collins thing is weird. The DeAndre Hunter. Is he like I, I picked him as my as my most improved player this That's year? That's a great pick. That's a great pick. Yeah. Um I, I just they, they 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 lost a lot of equity with me the way they followed up their conference final season. Like they they they, they were not a good team last year. The the style of ball that Trey plays, if you live and die by that, that's the problem. You know, like Miami put clamps on Trey, and outside of Trey, it's like everybody kind of depends on him because if Trey's in rhythm, it's easy to play off a of Trey. He gets everybody looks, a guy gets going. But if Trey's not in rhythm, a guy like John Collins, a guy like Clint Capella can't just catch a rhythm and take over a game. So I think Trey needed a running mate like DeJounte, who off, off the tip can just get theirs. Uh, the problem is they're both point guards. Neither one of them is a shooting guard. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out ball handling responsibilities and shot volume between those two, which I think is easy to do when you're a selfless basketball player, but that remains to be seen. Just in terms of on paper, though, I think Atlanta definitely benefited from that DeJounte Murray trade, and they got stronger around those guys. So uh, I like Atlanta. But another team who really didn't add much outside of just getting guys back, they're younger, so their guys will have another year under their belt, and the draft, I like Orlando. Bro, I think Orlando's yeah. two, three years away from competing. I'll tell you what. And Detroit. What? I like Detroit. That was my team. I, I I think Detroit is so fascinating because I like Detroit. They got this. I think they got a steal in the draft with uh with Jalen or um well so I'm I'm so Jaden or Jalen. I'm so I'm so prepared for them that I forget who they drafted. Uh, uh well they got Jaden Ivy. That was their Jaden pick. Ivy. Jaden and then they traded I for Jalen Dern. I think that backcourt is gonna be ooh. With with Cade and, and and Ivy, oh man, I'm excited. I, I don't know how people are still sleeping on Cade Cunningham, but like I'll talk to people, I'll see how people speak of him on Twitter, uh, YouTube comments, whatever. And obviously that doesn't hold weight, but bro, Cade Cunningham for being 20 years old is 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 way too good. He's way too good. I mean, you're talking about a guy that I don't know what his height is. They say he's 6'5". Some people say he's 6'8". It's somewhere in between those, 6'5 and 6'8". But 
You're talking about handling, post-game, low blocks, shooting the three ball, turn fades, pick and roll, handling and scoring in that scenario. I think Detroit is doing exactly what every team should do when they get a young budding superstar. This is what Charlotte should be doing with LaMelo. Now, granted, situation's a little different because of what happened with Miles Bridges and Montrez Harrell, and they had to fire Borrego. But come on, look at what Detroit's doing. They said, all right, Cade, we got one in them. We're going to draft Jaden. We've got our backcourt. Jalen Duran is a really good pay, uh, a big to pair with him based on what he did in college and, and high school. Isaiah Stewart had a good body of work, so let's keep him here. We've got our 3 and D in Sadiq Bay, who's going to get paid after next season or during next season, I imagine. Now, we need some, we need some vets on the squad, so they make a trade with New York. They get Nerlens Noel. They get Alec Burks. They're giving Cade the keys to be Cade Cunningham. And that's why some of these teams like the Spurs, I mean, they lose DeJounte because they're rebuilding. They're not giving DeJounte the keys. Charlotte right now, LaMelo has the keys there, but how about you surround him with some talent? How about you give LaMelo a chance to compete, right? The Magic, we've got one in Friends. We've got one in in Paolo. We like Cole Anthony. So let's rock out with these kids. Uh, All that said, I I think Detroit is doing exactly what you got to do when you have a kid like Cade. Give him the keys, build around him, and let him go to work. Kind of say with the Pistons, I think they're a lot closer to a playoff or a play-in than people say they are. Like I think mm-hmm. next year is a year where they can feasibly make the play-in. Sadiq Bay has been a home run pick for them. Ooh. Cade Cunningham is he had a very slow start because he really didn't have much of a chance to warm up before he got thrown into the mix. I think Jaden Ivey is an is like a, a mix between like a jaw and That's a Russ. Saying, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I would like to see them have a little more shooting, but I think all in all, and I think, I think, you know, Bagley has a chance to really have more of a role. Um, but I, I like that team a lot. I think yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune into them a little bit. Let me to the Hawks. Let me ask you this. What has a higher team ceiling? Trey as the on ball guy with, uh, DeJounte as the off ball Ooh. or DeJounte as a lead ball handler with Trey playing off the ball. And we already know that Trey is not much, is not, does very little off the ball. But I do think that, that, that I would probably lean more with DeJounte as the, the primary ball handler, Trey playing more off the ball. The only problem with saying that the, the counterpoint that maybe a Hawks fan or a Trey fan would make is that the guy basically leads the league in total points and assists. He's an offensive juggernaut, and he's doing it at six feet, six one. So Trey is going to put his uniform on every night, give you 30 points, and hand out 10 assists. Are you going to win every game with that, with, with, with that style? Not exactly, because you need guys around them that can play defense, that can grab rebounds, that can score at will when Trey's not scoring. But then again, DeJounte is a triple-double machine at the point guard position, and he's a little bit bigger. Uh, The only reason I'm going to say DeJounte probably plays off-ball more is because he can slash. So DeJounte can catch that ball, put it on the deck, get to the basket, slash, and still make something happen like pass out of a drive uh, that way. But I think just based on the fact that Trey's going to lead the league in points and assists, 
generally every year because of how much he has the ball in his hands and, and, and the usage, uh, Trey's going to stay at that point guard position. But Trey's also one of the league's best shooters. So who's to say that if you put him on the wing, DeJounte drives and kicks out to Trey, he's not going to shoot 40% out there on a high clip as the off-ball guard. Uh, but I think it's it's going to be a, a healthy dosage of both. They're going to experiment and probably figure that out throughout the duration of the season. So here's my vision for the Hawks. I would really try to get Trey Young to buy into an off-ball role because he's such a shooter with such range. You're you're going to start initiating your offense much higher um, on the court. And if DeJounte is making passes to Trey on curls on, on, around, you know, the, 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 uh, the, you know, the, in the, in the, the, in intercourt logo, like be within the, within the half court line, the logo that appears within the, you know, it's closest to the bench. They're going to be, he's going to have a chance to get downhill and attack and make his plays or shoot higher on the court that's going to really open up space. And, you know, I, I just want my my best ball handler or my best player to getting the ball in triple threat and being able to see a ton of space in front of him before he even reaches the break in the three-point line and have a chance to get downhill. Like, I want I, – I, when the Sixers hit their pick and rolls, I want Joel setting higher screens for James because I want James to be able to, to get around that screen – and have a lot of space to get downhill before he even gets to the three-point line. So we can decide, I have my shooter on the wing. I have my shooting corner. So if you have DeJounte in that off-ball role, he's not much of a deep shooter yet. Right. And so you can't play that deep. I think with Trey playing more off-ball, you have a lot more space to get downhill and attack the middle of the floor. You can also, you know, he's so small that you can even experiment with some uh, short curls around, you know, the three-point line, and he's catching the ball, and boom, already in floater territory. I, I, I think I would buy their ceiling more with Trey as an as an off-ball guy um, than I would with him playing on the ball. But I don't. I ultimately, I don't think it matters. I don't think he's going to buy into that that much because he hasn't yet in his career. Uh, this is all to say, as we approach minute fifty-nine on this episode. That I think the Sixers had the best offseason in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, we just spent 58 minutes talking about everybody's offseason just to say the Sixers had the best. I think it's important, though, to do that because if we were to just come out and not acknowledge that other teams got better and said the Sixers were head and shoulders better than everybody in terms of offseason moves, it would kind of invalidate our opinions, right? We have to acknowledge that other teams did get better. But at the same time, from the outside looking in, I don't know how you could say anybody had a better offseason than the Sixers. I'll let well, you, you said, go ahead first. And Minnesota had the best offseason. <laughs> no, no, no. This was for conversation's sake because you told me that I, I was tempted yeah. to say Minnesota, Cleveland. Uh, my pick was Denver. But you told me non-Sixers. I was prepared to say the Sixers. Okay. Right? But I think it's important that uh, we acknowledge that everybody else had a good offseason. I'll let you go uh, uh, before me. Uh, and maybe explain why you why, why you think that. So here's why. Did they make a splash? No, their big splash was I'm going to get James Harden to take a lesser deal. And not only that, we're going to make it a two-year deal. Why is that? 
because he sees the you know he obviously hears the criticism it's impossible in this day and age not to hear the the critics even if you want to deny that you listen whatever he's coming in essentially on a one-year deal the cap is about to explode because of the upcoming tv deals he's gonna have a chance to hit free agency again next summer he is gonna be pissed so you got him to take a one plus one and at a at a 14 million dollar discount that space that he left you give you the chance to add P.J. Tucker, who was arguably, I think, the second best player in that Heat series. Like, obviously, Jimmy was the best, but I think I thought P.J. Tucker crippled the Sixers. Like, he beat them to every single 50-50 ball. He had a lot of offensive rebounds that gave the Heat extra shots and really broke the Sixers back. Uh, he was up in Harden's grill, pressing him on every possession. He was he. I mean, he he played the Sixers to their bones, and he is the you know if you want to if you want to look at the definition of toughness, he his face is in the dictionary, um, and so they got tougher with 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 PJ Tucker. They add Daniel House. It's Daniel House, but Daniel throws me off a little bit. Um, obviously, brings toughness. He's a really good defensive wing. Um, I think he can sneakily be a really good floor runner. Like I, I like the way he fills his gaps and transition. And sure, then, and he's and, six seven, so yeah, not yet in front of him. Right. The the point is that you added another wing that you you just didn't have enough defensive wings last year. You added Daniel Daniel House. You then add Montrez Harrell, who I get it. People want to see B ball Paul play. People want to say Charles Bassey play. I get it. I get it. I get it. At the end of the day. You're going to you might you might think, shit. I kind of regretted not getting a backup big when Joel has to miss a game, or you know what have you. And Paul Reed or Charles Bassey had to do it by committee, and they're picking up four fouls in six minutes. Like there's a very real chance that that happens because back because young bigs, the number one mistake that they make is they commit too many fouls because they're jumping that trying to get blocks that they just can't get to. Um, and so you add Montrez who is not a, a defensive stalwart. He's just a really gritty pit bull like scorer in the paint. 97% of it, I think like over 90% of his shots for his career come in the, come in, come in the paint. So yeah. he's going to face you up. He's going to attack the rim. He has control. He has strength to get to the basket. And I liked, and, and you know, I think if you would have told me that D'Anthony Melton was the, was the, was, was the redemption that you had for, a, a, a late first round pick and an injured Danny Green. That's a home run as well. Oh my goodness! And I mean, you put you put Joel on the weak side. You put James on the weak side, or sorry, you put Joel and James on one side, and they're running a they're running a side pick and roll. And you put Anthony Melton on the weak side, and you're and and you're making the swing passes, and then he's attacking the closeout. Boom! You got a dunk there. I think that that every move like the Dan, Daniel House, PJ Tucker, Anthony Melton, Montrez. They added they added four rotation players to a team that was already in the second round last season, and now I think James Harden not only is a star in theory, but you bring him off the you not you bring him off the bench, but you stagger him with the second unit. They're going to be able to pick and roll the other the opposition to death when Joel's abuse it. They'll abuse yeah. it. They're going to go Montrez James pick and rolls. You can even add Tyrese Maxey in that mix on the weak side. Let him catch and go. You had you know you had the Anthony Melton in there. You have Daniel you have a Daniel House there to catch and shoot or you know attack 
attacks for offensive rebounds. I think they have they added just perfect players for their team. They got more athletic. They got better on the wings defensively. And I think now they're going to be cutting off the ball like crazy off the back doors. You got James and Joel just at the, as, the, as the fulcrums of that offense. You have Ty- Tyrese isn't even like we have even barely even talk about Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. I think they have a chance at three All Stars this year, and I think that they are every everything that they did. They got better in every facet. They added depth that they didn't have. You're no longer relying on Matisse Thybul to be your number one perimeter defender, right. and then having to sacrifice offense or defense because he can't play too many minutes because he can't shoot. They 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 are they are such a better team now than they were four months ago, and they have questions. There's a lot of volatility there. I get it because James Harden is James Harden, Joel is Joel, but if everything goes right, they're going to be tough as shit to get it past. We don't even have to discuss their starting five right now because you know what you're getting from Embiid. He's a top three player in the NBA. If Harden's healthy which he looks to be. He looks like he's in better shape. He's got more of a burst in some of these open runs. That's a plus because he's going to give you 22 to 24 with his 10 to 12 assists, take eyes, take attention, and do his thing. Tyrese is Tyrese. He's a budding star. Tobias is Tobias. If you put P.J. Tucker in the starting five, great. You got a perimeter defender, somebody that's not afraid to check one through five. He'll get on the glass. He'll box people out. He'll screen and roll. He's got the short roll game, that little floater on the short roll, and he's a corner shooter. So it's not like you're starting Furkan Korkmaz or Matisse Thibel and you have to worry about their cold slumps or this guy can't do this or that. P.J. Tucker is a professional corner specialist. So you put him in there. James is going to find him. They have history together. But in, in, in an effort to clean up what you said, because everything you said was perfect, The Sixers addressed their biggest problem from last season, which if you want to discuss statistically, it was rebounding. Correct. They were dead last in offensive rebounds, second to last in rebounds altogether. You got PJ, you got Montrez Harrell, you got DeAnthony Melton, who can rebound at the guard position. So they've addressed their biggest problem on paper. Their next biggest problem would be bench play. If Embiid, if Harden, if Maxi, if they're on the floor – they're going to compete with anybody. It's when you go to the bench in the non-Joel Embiid minutes, can you stay afloat? Even with Harden on the floor. Last year, they struggled doing that. Why? Because Harden's running with Furkan Korkmaz, with Charles Bassey, with Paul Reed. Now, like you said, Krell, they got real rotation players. They've got players that have bodies of work doing this. Daniel House, he's an afterthought to most people, but... That's someone the Sixers have, have been clamoring for. A 6'7 wing that plays defense, who can shoot the three ball consistently at about 37% and score. He can do it on the break. He can do it in the half court. That's what they needed. So they get Daniel House. They get Montrez, who Montrez, two-man game. The scoring in the paint, that's all great. Montrez is going to verbally assault you. He's going to try to take your head off. He's going to try to get in your head. That's what they needed. If, if, if they already address the bench and the rebounding, what do they need? They need a psychological edge. And they get that. They get that with PJ. They get that with DeAnthony Melton. They get that with Montrezl Harrell. So now when they're playing the Miamis and the Bostons and 
the Milwaukee's of the universe, they don't have to be afraid anymore because they've got guys on the squad that are saying, yo, we're, we're, we're going to kick the door and let's go. And that's what I have to say about that. Outside of everything you said, they addressed what they needed to address. And I think DeAnthony Melton was the biggest addition of the offseason because yeah. when Memphis sent Ja to the bench, DeAnthony Melton was their hit man. That was the guy that got buckets for him when Ja wasn't on the floor. When Ja was on the floor, DeAnthony could still coexist. Why do I say that? You can play DeAnthony with Tyrese. You can play DeAnthony with Harden. You can play him with the three of them. You could get creative. So I think DeAnthony was the biggest addition of the offseason. And I think altogether the Sixers got five, six players deeper. And now they went from a five and a half deep team to legitimately 10, 11 deep now. I wouldn't say they're, they're 10, 11. I think they're more in the eight to nine range. But besides the, besides the point, um, a week ago, I would have I would have probably said maybe Cleveland, maybe Minnesota had better off seasons. Maybe even you know like like you said Denver. But with the addition of Montrez Harrell, I just think that you now have a formula to to just keeping pace on when Joel goes to the bench, and that's really like like, like if we can dumb things down or simplify things down with the Sixers to the one core principle. It's how do they stay alive with Joel Embiid on the bench? And I think the answer to that is Montrez, James Harden, the pick and roll. And you have a bunch of pieces that are movable on that weak side of the floor. Uh, DeAnthony, Tyrese, Daniel House, um, and I don't even think that like I don't I'm not convinced that they got really better rebounding the ball, but rebounding isn't the only way to max it to, to 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 add shots and you know to to uh, create new possessions for yourself. There's also the loose balls, and I think this team is going to thrive in chasing down loose balls, diving and getting dirty, hustling, you know, using athleticism to beat uh, you know bigger guys to longer to to, to long rebounds off, off the glass. So, you know, I, I, I think that they have laid a, a print to having solutions to numerous issues. Um, I, before it was like, yeah, I can kind of buy uh, the Anthony Melton, you know, leading the leading the charge from your second unit and being, you know, your 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 go to microwave scorer as long as he's next to you know the staggered. James or or Tyrese or whatever. But now I'm like, no, you have a blueprint. It's Joel and Tyrese can go out together. You keep James there. He plays with Montrez. They go pick and roll Bonanza. And then they're firing the, 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 the passes to the swing. Um, and then, you know, uh, James goes to the bench. Tyrese comes in and they're getting downhill. They're running and they're running fast. Um, so, I think they have multiple ways that they can play now. And I think now it's like, you know, you might get, you're going to ultimately forfeit points at the rim when Joel goes to the bench because he's just, he's not only is he, he's just an elite defender and no one's like, you know, you don't have anybody to make up for that. Um, but you're going to at least be able to keep pace with, that, with that, with that Montrez James pick and roll uh, game. And then Joel comes back 
and you can keep on where you you can keep on building where you left off. You hit the nail on the head. That's that's exactly what I think they're thinking is we'll we'll, we'll surrender some defense so long as we could keep up with the flow of the game and score. If if we got Harden and Trez with you know Niang or DeAnthony Melton or Daniel House, maybe even Quirk or Thibault on the wings, and they're hitting. I don't care if you score. Yeah, we'll score too. And then we'll bring in beat back and then shut it down. And I think like you look around the other teams, like if we want to say that Cleveland had one of the best off seasons, which we can, um, I can buy all that. If four all-star ish level players below the age of 26, they also sacrificed some, some depth to get that fourth guy. And they have Lamar Stevens. They have, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah Coro. Um, but they have guys on their bench that are going to be expected to play a lot, you know, minutes, and they have some fatal flaws. They have some, some of their bench pieces can only give you 14, 15 minutes a night. And, you know, they add Ricky Rubio, who is more depth at the guard spot. But I mean, if, if I think Cleveland's like one or two wings away, or, you know, a three and D guy away from, saying, yeah, we had the best offseason. Or, you know, I think uh, Denver is like one more meaningful free agent away. And I mean, I, I think Bruce Brown's a great, great signing for them because of his off-ball cutting. But I think like if you – like the Sixers legitimately added four rotation guys um, and they got they got better at numerous positions. And I think that's yeah. huge. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Brock – Got any got anything coming up? Um, just probably gonna be putting stuff out until the season starts. Uh, nothing specific right now. But if you are watching, uh, whether that be live or post stream, make sure you go to my channel and check out. I did a PJ Tucker film breakdown, a Daniel House film breakdown, the two man game breakdown between Harden and Embiid. I did a Sixers all time starting five. Video and most recently a Montrez Howard breakdown. So if there's anything you want to know about any pieces the Sixers added, or you just want to watch Sixers or basketball content, you can do that on my channel. Krell, I appreciate you tonight. Uh, tonight there was no King Cobra ad roll, but I know somewhere out there. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. while. Somewhere out there, um, we were given a King Cobra ad roll. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brock. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for hopping on tonight. Thank you for having me.